You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. The podcast shining a bright light on disability, sexuality, and everything in between. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I want to tell you all about a really awesome deal that I got from my friends and new sponsors, Adam and Eve, the number one adult toy superstore. They reached out to me and they said, Andrew, we love Disability After Dark. We love your show. We love what you're doing. And we were wondering if you wanted to run some ads for us. And I was like, fuck yes, I do. But what are my awesome listeners going to get if I run ads for you? What are they going to get out of this? And they came back with a really fantastic deal that I want to share with you right now. I hope you're getting comfy, cozy, and crippled because this deal is pretty great. If you go to AdamEve.com, you can pick out almost any item in the store, almost any one item in the store, for 50% off. That means you can get one dildo, one lube, and one thing of lingerie, if you want, for 50% off. And then, once you get that one item for half price, they throw in even more free stuff. Let me tell you all about it. Okay, so you got your one item at half price in your bag, and you're ready to go, but guess what? This offer also includes 10 free items on top of that that other item. So you get one free item for penis havers, one free item for vulva havers, one free item for couples, and then you also get six free movies from the AdamEve.com website. You can get your favorite porn or an educational film. I love free movies. They're so awesome. This is such a great deal. And then, on top of that, you also get free shipping. What could be better? This is such a great offer. So, to redeem this great offer, what you're going to do is you're going to go to AdamEve.com. You're going to go to checkout and you're going to type in DarkPod. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout. And you're going to get one item, almost anything in the store, at 50% off. And then you're going to get those 10 free gifts, absolutely free, as part of your offer. This is such a great deal. And this is just for you, Disability After Dark listeners. And I hope you run over to AdamEve.com and take advantage of it right now. Content warning. The language content and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the award-nominated podcast 
shining a bright light on disability, sexuality, and everything in between. On welcome, welcome. I forget what I'm. I forget what I was gonna say. Welcome to the show. My name is Andrew Gerza. I am your number one queer cripple, your disabled dick smith, your disability awareness consultant, and all the things in between. I want to say, let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled, and get today's show started, y'all. I just checked on the internet, and I just found out that spring is in 21 days, and as I'm looking outside my window, as I record this intro, it is snow and blustery and horrible, and I gotta tell you, as a disabled person who uses a wheelchair, living in the... the places where it snows. I cannot wait for it to be spring. I am the most excited for spring because it actually means I can get the fuck out of my house and go somewhere and do some things. So to those of you listening who are wheelchair users, who are housebound because of the snow, I got you. I understand how stressed the fuck you are and I hope that this episode puts a little bit of a smile on your face as you can sit with other disabled people who are listening, talking about disability stuff when you're cooped up in the house looking for a community here we are i got you so um let's listen together to this great episode cool also because it's 2020 i'm looking always for new guests to be on the show and new people to come and share their stories with disability so make sure you pop over to you send an email to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com let me know you want to be on the show come and tell me your story talk to me about sex and disability talk to me about disability generally send me the things from Minnesota there I want to include more of your voices on this show in 2020 so let's get you booked in for an episode and uh, let's get all the people on the show with me together talking disability sex and everything in between as you can probably guess, I had no major intro planned, so that's why I'm like, what can I throw into the intro? That's what I'm. That's why I talked about the weather a bit there. I had no intro really planned for today, but here we are. And now I'm actually ready to do the show with you, and I am so excited for today's show. It's going to be fantastic, and I promise you, it's a long time coming. Let me tell you all about it. Probably about a year ago now, I got an email from somebody who said, I love what you're doing, I love the work you do, and i I stumble on you on social media and I think you're great and I would love to, to be a part of your show. And I said, that's amazing. Let's keep it. Let's have a chat. And her name is Nicole Scarlato. She's a trans disabled model out of New York. And we had had a great chat back in July. We did an hour and 15 minutes together. We had a great interview. Everything was set to go. And then my fucking audio didn't work. And I lost her whole interview and it took us this long to finally sit down together. I sit down with Nicole Scarlato today as we talk about her experiences being a being an amputee and what that meant for her, being trans and how transitioning to a woman made her feel about her disability and vice versa. We talk a little bit about her experiences in the Paralympics some years ago and we also talk about what she thinks about about Oscar Pistorius, what she thinks about trans ableism and body dysmorphia thing and body identity dysmorphia dysmorphia stuff around disability and trans ableism. We have a really powerful and fun chat. She's really she talks about her experience 
being a fashion model and what being a fashion model who's trans and who's disabled means for her. We talk about her experiences with privilege, being a trans, disabled white woman, what that means for her around her around New York. We talk about her experiences growing up. She does mention some things about addiction, so content warning for that. Um, but it's an amazing interview, and I'm so excited to have her there. She refers to herself as a cyborg goddess, and that's the title of this episode because when, once she starts talking, you will see she's a cyborg goddess. Uh, we had a great chat, and I'm excited to share it with you. So, without further ado, here's my awesome interview with trans-disabled fashion model Nicole Scarlato, right now on Disability After Dark. Nicole Scarlato, hello. Hi. Hi, I'm so excited to have you on Disability After Dark. This show, oh my goodness, where <laughs> where do I even start to begin to talk about that? Okay, so, listening audience, we recorded... The first version of this show, back in July of 2019, yeah. we had an amazing talk. Everything was great. And then I had audio issues, and the episode was kaput, and I couldn't uh, use it, and fuckery went down. Uh, and then scheduling things, and I got busy, and Nicole got busy, and we've been uh, trying for so long to redo this, so the fact that we're sitting down right now doing it... I put my phone on silent. Like five people have called me in the last two minutes. I'm like, no, fuck, I gotta do this. It's too important. But Nicole, I'm so yes. happy you're here. Please, please introduce yourself to us and tell us who you are and what you do. And yeah, yeah, I'm so happy to be back, even though it's for the first time for the listeners. <laughs> but back to be talking with you. I mean, seriously, I've been like waiting for this to come out for so long. I want people to hear it. So um, the fact that this is like one step closer to that just gets me so excited. Um, for those that don't know me, uh, my name is Nicole Scarlato. Uh, I am a transgender woman as, as well as being um, an amputee and um, queer. I, um, I'm 34. I'll be 34 next month coming up. Um, Happy birthday, belated, early. Thank you. Maybe it'll be released close to my birthday. It's I don't know. Released. Well, it, it'll be released two weeks from like now. So, oh, okay. Very, very soon. I'm into it. I'm into it. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, my journey is kind of, it's kind of incredible. I hate to say it about my own journey, but it's just like, you know, three years ago, I came to terms with my gender identity and like my life just like changed completely. And um, one of the things that that resulted from my transition was the fact that um, it allowed me to come to terms with my body and my disability in ways that I hadn't before. I should probably say this, that like I was born with a birth condition, um, PFFD, proximal femoral focal deficiency. So um, originally all they did at birth was they amputated the foot um, and I was missing my tibia and there was missing something for my hip so they're very conservative at first just want to see what would happen they ended up um the ball ended up growing for the hip so they reattached it like at like two or three years old um and then they kept the knee in but the leg wasn't going to grow the same it looked normal it wasn't going to grow the same rate as um, the other legs so uh it's sure enough that's what happened I, as i got older and i was very active as a kid i mean i played lots of sports i was on team sports but as i got older my you know 
my thigh wasn't growing at the same rate as my other leg. So I had this really long prosthetic that was uh, below the knee, but it was like the length of a leg essentially as I got older. So that, you know, as I got older, I, I became a little bit slower, couldn't keep up with my, my peers, the same way I did when I was super young playing sports. Um, and one thing they had warned um, or just kind of told my parents about was at some point the, um, the, um, the knee might actually start fatiguing and becoming, you know, sore, breaking down, sore, you yeah. know, coming in pain. So I was 18 and I, I kind of, well, 17 and I started to experience that and it wasn't unbearable. Like I knew I could get many more years out of it, but at the time, um, I thought, you know, there are a lot of things that are really impractical about having this really long prosthetic with a really short thigh and I'm in, a, I'm starting to be in pain and, um, I feel like my sports days are starting to come to an end because high school is ending. Maybe I just go in and actually like have the knee taken out now and adjust I don't when I'm 18 as opposed to who knows when it could be decades down the road and it'd be that much harder to do it to acclimate then. So I, um, decided to have it done. I went in major surgery. They literally like cut my bones and like fuse them back together. And, um, my face is like, okay. Cause I've, I've been there too. But not yeah. the same thing, but similar. Like I've had bones taken out and things fused together. It's it's a gr- the whole visual is gross, but yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's not that uncommon for disabled <laughs> folks. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was like, super painful as people can imagine. And, um, took me about a year ish. I mean, I was really up and like starting to walk slowly after like six months, but I, I initially, you know, regretted it just because I, I all of a sudden like lost the ability to like walk without thinking, you know, and like run at the time I thought, Oh wait, what did I just do? My life's not gonna be the same. And, um, as I went through like rehabilitation, I had a great prosthetist. I, ha- I have the same ones that I've had since I was 12 and, he like was able to bring in um, other amputees that, that that did run that were above the knee, um, and that that were active, and that gave me a lot of a lot of hope actually, and it really spurred me to start to like push myself. I was an athlete, right? So to push myself to train and to to get back into shape. So um, leads me to where I am today. I'm technically an above knee amputee, T- like technically, I guess technically I'm a knee dysartic, um, which I still <laughs> I hear that word thrown around a lot, and I still I'm not even like able to like describe that accurately so I want to google it but ultimately I'm above the knee amputee I have an artificial knee and um yeah so I, I don't remember what I was prefacing this whole thing with I was talking about you were talking about what were you what, oh my transition yeah, yeah so right. so because I lived my whole life you know only understanding myself to be in my eyes I, you know I was different I mean I am but like I was different um I also like I had a lot of insecurities around it that I wasn't quite aware of. I was a kid that was like very in their emotions, like in their feelings, but kept it themselves and wasn't good at like being honest with themselves in terms of like growing and processing. Like I didn't, there wasn't a lot of like dinner time talk about how your day was in my family. Like my family is super loving, but that's just not really how it was. So I didn't, wasn't really good at like processing my feelings. And I, I remember, I want to say I was like five or six years old and I was at school it was some type of recess of some kind. And um, I was trying to to play with, or I was trying to play like kickball or something. And like, I couldn't, or tag, I think. And I couldn't keep up with everyone. And the teachers were out, you know? And I got so frustrated, I started crying. Cause I was like, why can't, I know I'm fast. Why can't I keep up with these people? And um, the teacher, you know, asked what was wrong. And I didn't really want to talk about it. And then the teacher told my mom. So my mom, when I got home, she was like, what, you know, what happened? and 
um, I basically said to her, when am I going to be like everyone else? And she said, well, you're not. And that's okay. And, you know, I had that type of like environment and that support, which was like so, so amazing. But with how society is, I mean, I still almost didn't accept the fact that I was disabled just because of how prevalent ableism is in our, in our yeah, world. I mean, how old were you, you know? at the time you were like, well, at that, at that time I was like five or six, but even as I got older, you know, I still like in my mind, I never, I never consider myself even being disabled. Like I, you know, I didn't want to define myself that way. Whereas now it's, which we can get more into like my story now later, but like, but now I'm like, yeah, I'm disabled. Like it's part of just who I am, you know, I embrace it. And to me, like speaking about it and talking about it, cause I do, you know, advocacy as well as modeling and like yeah. that to me is like important to make change, you know? But so anyways, so I, I just had a lot of insecurities about it. And even as I got a little bit older, I started being introduced to, you know, intimacy with, with people and partners. And, um, I was just always really like, didn't like being naked. Um, it would, took me a long time to get naked with a partner. Um, and I think it a lot, it really led to a lot of like really bad sex for me for a long time. Cause I just didn't like how I felt. Um, and was that kind of both the combination of the disability and the, and the transness kind of yeah. together? Yeah. But the, but the transness was, was something that I, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know I was trans, even though I had these thoughts and these feelings because I was born in the late eighties. So I grew up in the nineties and the early two thousands when I was in high school. And you know, there, there wasn't really being talked about other than just random pockets on the internet, um, which I was around, you know, on the internet, but still I just, it wasn't normalized. So I never, first I never thought to, to like look into what these feelings were. I just thought, Oh, I'm just weird. I have, cause I, I've always had intrusive thoughts as it is. So I just figured, Oh, this is just some weird thing. Um, but I never had any also role models. There was no one on TV at the time or no one that was like portrayed in a good way that was talking about it and what the experience is like. Yeah. So, so even though I had these feelings that, that at the time, looking back, it was gender dysphoria, um, I didn't know to call it that, but I was aware of my leg, right? So when I was, you know, consciously choosing to get undressed, like I would think about that and it would cause me anxiety, you know, when I was with a partner um, until we, we were dating for a while and I would feel comfortable with them. Um, but transitioning um the well to get to the point of even transitioning in the first place so i spent basically like most of my teenage years all the way through my like mid to late 20s pretty much like this like cycle of usually like numbing myself with something where i do it for a while whether it be harder drugs or just like smoking weed too much or drinking even gambling it was always something and um to me it was like so much more fun <laughs> in regular life you know it's because i because you had to escape yeah you know i never thought of it as like an actual true escape at the time i just thought oh this is way more fun looking back that's exactly what it was and when i hit 27 um i kind of had this this relationship well kind of i did <laughs> i um, i found i met someone that i got pretty serious with she had her stuff together she like graduated college and like had a great job i never went to school i was like working in my family business um, kind of off and on. And at the time I was working like in a, di a different job and meeting her kind of encouraged me to, to kind of try to push myself to do more with my life. Cause I always felt like I, sh I should have been doing something different with my life. I mean, I was driving, I, I did a few different things after high school, but uh, eventually I, I fell into the family business, which was a tow truck business. And they like, they don't do like repo. It's more like roadside. Like you break down the side of the road. Yeah, where they like rescue, rescue, right. Yeah, exactly. We had a contract with AAA. They still do. Um, 
So I was able to do that. And remember, I'm like, I'm pretty privileged as a disabled person. I can get around pretty well. And like, I somehow drove tow trucks off and on for like a long time. And I mean, my body still feels it to this day. I, I ruined parts of my body from doing that. So I, I couldn't have kept going. But um, I also did stuff in the office as well to like alleviate um, some of the issues I had. Um, excuse me. So, um, gosh, what was I saying? Sorry, I took you were, my, took you were some, in the office, and then and then you and then you were did tow trucking, oh, and then, yeah, yes, yeah. So I met this person, and we got serious, and it inspired me to want to get my life together. And one of the things that came about from being with her was, um, I just when I started going through like the next cycle of wanting to like just get high all the time again, I didn't because I wanted to get my stuff together and keeping her um, being with her was like an accountability partner for me. So um, without her even knowing that, to be honest, but one of the results of that was I started having the bad anxiety. I wasn't sleeping well and um, it really got out of control and to the point where she was worried and I started seeing doctors and specialists cause I would have physical pain, which I still have like chronic pain to this day. Yeah. But um, through that whole process and like, through her concern, like I, at her urging, I started seeing a therapist and I also separately based on a friend's recommendation started meditating. And like those two things, they really put me on this, this like trajectory, this path where I started to really peel back layers slowly. I mean, the meditation kind of like strengthened my, the muscle for like self-awareness while meditate, while um, therapy allowed me to actually talk through things I'd never considered before. Uh, one of those things being like my, my, my religious beliefs at the time which I had grown up with and me and my partner were pretty like involved in our church, um, like really involved. So I, I started going through this like metamorphosis until like literally one day. And at this point, keep in mind, I'm engaged to this person. Um, I, and you were, <laughs> and at this point you were, you were male presenting, right? Everything you were not. in. The... Okay. So yeah, I, I was still like going by my dead name. I, you know, it's funny, like, the, the thoughts about being trans would come back stronger each time, but I still hadn't put it together. But I don't want to get too off track here, but at one point my, my fiance kind of asked me about it because I was talking to her about bedroom stuff and things I wanted to try eventually. And one of the things was like, you know, role playing and like being the woman. And her first thought, reaction was like, what if that means you're trans? Because at the time, the, the, um, Caitlyn Jenner had just come out. So like she watched the Kardashians and I was like, I don't think, I don't know. It's not the same. Like I hadn't really thought about what it meant to be, to be trans. Yeah, I never even also at that point, if your only role model was Caitlyn Jenner, I would also be like that. I mean, that's not entirely what. Well, yeah, I'm not going to comment on that too much. I will say that like, she's not my role model, but um, it was good in some ways just for the of course. exposure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyways, um, although I will say we have similarities. I was a former Paralympic sprinter, and she was a sprinter as oh, well. We're gonna, so. Don't worry, that's, that's I'm, <laughs> we're gonna go there. I have, okay, we have things right. to talk about. Okay, all right. So, um, being with her, oh, she brought that up at one point, which was like funny, but I never actually still consider myself. I, I had these thoughts around like, oh, maybe if like all of a sudden I had no attachments to my life and I moved somewhere different, maybe I'd like try transitioning like that's not like a normal thought you know but those are the thoughts that a lot of trans people like will consider at some point when they're like still in denial about it yeah um so anyways i came to this realization one day not about my being trans but just this more self-awareness piece where um i had been talking to my therapist about just all kinds of just really deep stuff and um it really led to this like awakening i woke up i literally woke up one day and 
um, I had this epiphany. It was like, wow, like the only reason I am who I am and the stuff I believe in and everything about me is because of like each chain of events that happened before that up until the day I was born. And if I had no choice about being born at all, like what does it even mean? Like, what does it mean to be me? You know what I mean? And how, do, what are the implications of that when it comes to religion? Cause I was, you know, I was Christian and, um, it was just like this idea that like there was judgment to the world for people who didn't believe. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense all of a sudden. So I just, all of a sudden something unlocked for me. And I had this like, and I didn't really tell anyone at first. I actually kept it myself for a good couple months. And all of a sudden I started seeing things differently. I didn't have fear when questioning and like, I felt like I was in front of this vast unexplored frontier. And I was like, and I've used this before, but like this vast unexplored frontier is the only way I can describe it. And I was like, so excited to explore it, but I was engaged and I was super involved in this church. I was like leading men's groups and like this whole thing. Oh, and like, which is, which is ironic, right? Like, yeah. Which I also never really felt comfortable doing, but I, I knew I, I knew I wanted to like, I liked being involved and actually I think it, I do advocacy now and I think a lot of it's like very similar in terms of like what pastors can do and like yeah. they talk on stage, you know, so I, I kind of wanted that and now I do it in a different way, which is more authentic to myself. But um, I finally had a conversation with my, my, my fiance and I'm just like, Hey, this like, I don't, I don't know if I believe and I'm questioning things. And it was like this huge, just like the record stopped, you know, and was like, wait, what? We're playing a wedding. And yeah, so I left the church that we were going to, um, and we tried going to couples therapy and we did it for about six months and it just brought up a lot of other things that I wasn't even paying attention to before. I wasn't even aware of. And, um, I just realized, you know, I'm never going to be able, I'm always going to have one foot in a box with her. I'm never going to be able to truly explore that frontier. Wow, I was excited. That almost, that sounded really deep also because, because you're an amputee like that, <laughs> that phrasing is oh, really yeah, like actually, intense. That's right true. There. I can't say that was intentional. That was actually pretty good. You're right. Um, Maybe we found the the name of this episode. I don't know. One one foot in the box. One foot in the box. <laughs> yeah. So um, we broke up. I broke up with her, and one of the most difficult difficult things I've ever done. Um, I'm still, I still feel sad about it. It's been three years, um, and we don't have a relationship anymore at all. And I'm and it's friends, which is you know, hey. It's fine. This is like what it means, what it takes for her and for me. But it's still, you know, I spent a lot of time with that person. And, of course. But within a month of us breaking up, those thoughts came back. And I thought to myself, okay, this keeps coming back up. I just rerooted, I uprooted my entire life to like explore what it meant to be me. If I didn't like start looking into this at the very least and living life for me, because for the first time I did not care what people thought about me. I really didn't. And um, I was like, well, what, what? I did everything for nothing if I didn't, if I don't look into this. So I yeah. started looking into it and talking to my therapist. And the big thing was actually reading people's stories. I never took the time to read people's coming out stories. I never took the time to read about people's experiences and what transitioning was actually entailed. I mean, it's different, right, for everyone, but there's like so many ways you can do it. Um, and also seeing people's before and after photos, like, oh my God, that's possible? Like what? Um, and very quickly, I just, I was like, yeah, this is, this is right this is me. And, um, you know, going back to what I started with was like that whole journey led me to accepting my leg. I think it was like the self-awareness piece. And then as I transitioned and I started to like love my new body, like I took hormones, right. And like my, I started to change my body. And for those that are not aware, like if you take hormones as a trans woman, like your, your body changes. I mean, like you develop breasts and your skin gets really soft, at least mine did. And, you know, your face changes a little bit, like in terms of like looking more like soft as well. And 
your smell is different. It's wild. Like I don't have the same smell that a guy has. Like the, ma- really- like the masculine like pheromones change. Yeah. yeah. It's really, really wild. I mean like I've gained like fat in my hips and like my thighs and my body is like very, very feminine now. Um, as that started to happen, there became a, there came a point where I was like, oh my God, I actually love my body. And that included with my, with my leg. I was like, it's beautiful. Like this is, this is me. And it was very empowering, very empowering. And that's kind of been like, since that happened, like I, I want to say I came to terms with my body probably a couple, year and a half ago, maybe two years ago when I truly was like, I've been on home runs for a year. I just got into this relationship with someone, first person I did since after transitioning. And she made me feel great. She made me feel sexy and beautiful. And I just, I started to see the things change and it was, it was one of the most amazing experiences. And since then, I'm just like, it's one of my things I, I constantly preach is just, you know, learning to love yourself. It's one of the most important things. It brings so much joy and happiness that no one can take from you. And it's, um, I think the world would be a better place if everyone knew how to do it. I do like how when you said that, you were like beaming with happiness. So that makes like, the fact that you, you said it because like, and you, it wasn't like one of those cheesy like, love yourself. It was like, no, genuinely, this is me just telling you as a human being, if you do that, you'll feel better. Like that's what that feels like. Yeah. I mean, I mean it. I, I try to be as like real as possible when I talk about it. Sometimes it's tough on social media. You don't want to seem like well, you're... social media is a trash fire. We all know this. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah anyways so i've uh, <laughs> according to my sheet i've asked you one question um which is great i do want to ask though through all through all of that as you were transitioning like, you touched on a little bit like how did you feel about did your disability play into all of these other thoughts or were you like was the transit front and center um i'd say the transition was front and center. The generating was front and center. And it's really only been over the past year and a half since I like embraced my body where I've started to think more about what it means to be disabled and the implications of that, both like with myself and with the world. Yeah, kind of let's break that. Let's like break open that. Like what is, what is, what is, what is that journey of like, okay, I've transitioned now and I love that part of me, but how did, how did you incorporate disability into that or your, your disability into all that or have you or is it a, do you think it's a process that's ongoing it's a process that's ongoing i'm trying to get better about it i i still like i'm i wrestle through this like because i have the privilege of being mobile and like without with without like much pain when i walk around um i wrestle with the fact that like i don't ever as i, I start to like speak more about it i don't ever want to like offend or like have people think that my experience is like the only experience, you know, because it's so different. That's one thing that I've taken the time in the past probably year ish to, to really expand my, um, my network in terms of like who I follow and who I befriended. And I'm, you know, being mindful of the fact that there's so many different types of disabilities and so many different ways of life and, you know, how some people just really, you know, they really have, other than social media or just the internet, they have no voice, you know, they're buried in debt from medical bills and they're stuck at home because they don't have a working chair. And, um, you know, when they do finally get outside, like the sidewalks are so bad that they can't even like use or get around or if they live in a place that's public transportation, it doesn't even work well. And as someone who moved to New York city a few, a few months ago, like I see it every yeah, day. I the have M- to walk up the stairs all the time. And it's the MTA I'm like, Wait a is ridiculous. Like, like it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And I'm like, 
okay, so if I was in a wheelchair, I couldn't be doing this. I couldn't be out here modeling hustling. I mean, I could, don't get me wrong. I actually know of some people that are and they're killing it, but I couldn't do it the way I'm doing it right now. It'd be that much more difficult. Um, and I think that's what I've like really taken the time to be more mindful of and aware of this last year because I want to gear up and I want to really, as I grow, my platform grows because I, I expect it to. It has been growing. I expect it to. I want to use it. I want to use it to bring awareness to to the fact that I am a healed person and I am privileged. Like I want to, I want to start conversations and I want to be able to, you know, talk about it in a way that's mindful and um, um, inclusive. Um, so we can make changes that like help not just myself and the amputees, but everyone. Right. Yeah. What do you think your, because we're talking about privilege, what do you think as a disabled trans person, your, as a disabled, uh, oh, that's not what I, <laughs> I, I say it a lot. I was going to say the wrong thing. Not what I meant to say. As a disabled trans woman, white woman, what do you think your privileges are? Ooh, that's a good one. I mean, there's so many, that's like, that's a load of, I mean, there's so many things I can say about that. Um, one of the biggest ones is, is probably like being white. Um, you know, I don't experience, and I'm, I'm not trying to like, I, I'm, I'm pretty. Okay. Like, I don't want to sit here and be like, oh, I'm so hot. But like, no, I, I, <laughs> I mean, I you, have, are, you are, you are, you can say you. it. It's fine. You are. But I'm privileged in the sense that I have passing privilege. I was born with, you know, like this bone structure on my face high cheekbones that are a little more feminine. Um, and because of that, um, I don't get as much transphobic stuff thrown at me when I'm out in public. Um, I'm white, which means people um, don't feel nervous around me. And um, I don't know. It's just the world's easier to navigate. And I mean, you can hop in a cab and, or you can hop upstairs or you can like, uh... yeah, no, we're talking about disability. Yeah. I mean, like for me going upstairs is, is, is difficult, but it's like totally doable right now at this point in my life. There'll be a day where it's not, but like I can still get up the stairs and elevators broken. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I can hop into a car super easily. Like, I mean, I can even run if I had to, like I don't anymore. I'm so out of shape, but like I could, <laughs> you know? And I think the the challenges that I face are like, so just like, they're different. They're like, they're much, I don't want to say smaller because sometimes they still feel really big to me. I think everything is like relative, but they're definitely not the same issues that other um, people that, um, deal with that are disabled. Like, for example, the, you know, the anxiety of, of having to like force, you, you force, find yourself a seat by force, right? Like yeah. as someone that can like wear pants or wear like skirts and cover my leg for all the day, I just think like some, you know, cis white woman that's able-bodied to these people when I get on the butt or on the the train, and <clears throat> sometimes I don't want to say anything to them because I, I I feel I sometimes I get dysphoria when I when I talk to strangers because I'm, I'm afraid they're gonna like by talking because I, I have a voice that's a little bit deeper that they're gonna think I'm trans. I don't mind my voice. I actually like my voice, but when I'm out in public, it's sometimes I have to, I don't talk as much because of that. Um, with, at least when I'm by, when I'm by myself. So by even like acknowledge trying to be like, Hey, can I take your seat? Like I always have this anxiety of like, Oh, well then they're going to see I'm trans. And (laughs) and then you have, you have two things to like, to like think about. You have to both come out as disabled right in that moment. Cause you then have to say, Oh, I'm an MBT. And you, then if they suspect you're trans, you then have to, 
you're in this weird limbo of like, okay, they've discovered I'm disabled. That's scary enough. Yeah. And then, then they discover I'm trans, which is equally terrifying in that moment because what the like, you just want to fucking see, but in that moment you had to expose yourself yeah. twice over. So of course it's, I get it. I get it. Yeah. So those are things I deal with regularly. Um, there's little things as well. Like, you know, in New York, especially people are so like just on the go that it doesn't bother me with people around me. I can like pretty much navigate that, which is another privilege of mine. But um, when I'm with friends, everyone's like, they don't think about the fact that I, I, I need to take the elevator if I can, you know? And they start walking the stairs. I'm like, hey, we got to take the elevator. They're just like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Wow, like, even your friends haven't like... No, they've gotten a lot better. They've gotten a lot better. But you know, it. it's it's like when you're out here, especially in New York, it's such a fast paced way of life that like, this is the problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like people aren't, thinking about it right they aren't thinking about how um privileged they are as able-bodied people and how able-bodied our world really is yeah yeah i mean i mean totally and i also think when i was in new york you're right it is so go 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 if you're not if you don't have the physical capacity to go as fast as everybody else you will get left behind and nobody gives a fuck if you yeah nobody cares it's true. I mean, like, just to give you an example, like, I'll get on the subway with a really short, like, flared skirt. So it's like, or like, I wear my pants, I cut the jeans on the right side so you can see, like, my prosthetics. Yeah. I think it's easier to fit. It fits better, but also looks cooler, right? So I, like, I'll walk on the subway with, like, my leg clearly showing, and no one will get up. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, just because. You live in New York and everything's going so fast, doesn't mean you have the, like, right to be a fucking dick. You know what I mean? Like, And usually if I say something that people will get up, no, I've never had anyone say no, but, um, it just goes to show you people are so in their own world and trying to move fast or on their phones that they aren't paying attention to other people. And, um, it's really frustrating. It's really frustrating. It's a different type of frustration, you know, because at the fact, end of that day, I can still get on the train. Yeah. Right? And I mean, for, and you're, and you're right, but it is, it is still, it needs to be acknowledged that you're a disabled person. And even though you can get on the train, it doesn't mean that when you're on the train, as a disabled trans person, you feel safe on the train or yeah. comfortable or yeah. like wanting to. But the difference being, of course, that I, like somebody in a wheelchair might not even be able to access the train because yeah. MTA doesn't give a fuck about if the elevator is broken for a million years and I don't even live in that city and I can tell you the holy fuck oh my MTA. God. Like, come on, come on. Oh my God. Um, I want to talk to you about, about pleasure and beauty and the disabled and the, the act of exploration what you said to me today was you want to talk about the act of exploration and the resulting sexual liber- liberation. You yeah. said this really beautiful thing that I obviously can't repeat because I can't speak. But <laughs> but I want to talk to you about sexual liberation and transness and disability and all this stuff. And I'm going to just say that and let you go down whatever path you want to. Yeah. I mean, I can read my answer if you really want, if you think it's that beautiful. I mean, <laughs> sure. <laughs> How the disabled body might interact differently than an able person's body, but that doesn't mean there aren't things to discover and explore that are unique and beautiful about pleasing disabled bodies. This act of exploration and the resulting sexual liberation is very subversive at its core. Let's go there. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. When I first realized that although my body is dip is you know not is different than like a the traditional like, standard, right? I mean, I hate the word like normal, but it's, you know, you know, for this, for the argument's sake here, we're just going to say it's just being disabled, your body's different. And um, I, I was with somebody after my transition 
and we she was a little kinky i mean i'm a little kinky too and um she was a more of like into impact play type of things and um she was also someone that's had studied she was super smart and she had like done some like neuroscience like in her in school and done some other stuff and was really 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 educated and you know we had a conversation at one point about um about just how because i was born with my you know my situation my leg the way it is like the nerves are, are different than somebody that just has it you know lot loses it in the accident for example like i don't have phantom pain really right yeah so the things like that like connect I'm, and i'm so bad like, i'm not really articulate when it comes to the science and like medical stuff right but like the things that connect like the brain and like the your nerves at the end of like your foot for example like those are still there, but in a lot of ways, in the brain, it's the in the brain. Well, it's not a lot of ways that it's true. In the brain, it's the same size, and I, since I still have the nerve endings on a much smaller like piece of body, which is like, you know, my stump or my stumplet, as we used to call it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it's more sensitive, and we started to like do this thing where we use like a mirror, and we were just playing with different things, and like actually, my mind could actually point to where I could like wiggle where my, my big toe should be and where my pinky toe should be. And like, I could like touch it and I could think about which one, which toe would be what and touch it. And it was really fascinating to me. And, and she was just like, you know, because of that, like it makes sense why you're so sensitive down there. Cause I've always been sensitive. I never thought about it sexually. Right. But. Oh yeah. I fetish, remember this story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So foot fetish is a thing and I'm not, I've never really, no, I mean, literally no shade. I'm nothing. I don't blame, I don't shade it for it. No shame for anybody. There's no slut shaming, king shaming at all. But like, it's just not something I'm necessarily into and, uh, or foot, you know, foot fetish. And, it, but like, she was like, well, that's, that's like a thing though, just so you know, like feet are more sensitive. So we started to explore with it as like a means of like pleasure for my myself and for her. And she's an impact play. So um, I used it in an impactful way. <laughs> um. <laughs> so, so hang on, hang yeah. on. So you, so you've fucked her with your stump? Kind of. Okay, so like, you gotta be a size queen to take my stump. Cause it's not like, it's not like, <laughs> it's not huge, but there is like, my, my ankle at the end is still there and then it, and then it like it tapers down. Yeah, so I like, yeah, so you can actually get it in there, but like, I can't remember. I, we did it a couple of times and I, I got pretty close once and, um, but she, because she's an impact play, it wasn't so much about getting in there. It was more just like the, the, the actual and like the, the, the sides of my, of my stuff is like, it's like perfect for it. Right. But it actually felt really good for me too. Cause it's so sensitive down there. And it was really like, it was really freeing. Like it made me really like that part of my body in a way I hadn't before, especially when it came to sex and um, pleasure. And um, I think, I think being open to exploring our bodies and like how unique they are and just how beautiful they are. Like, I think we don't, don't enough people do that. I, I think it's really important, especially as disabled people to make sure we're like, you know, yeah, our bodies might be different, but, who cares? Like, let's figure out how to make it feel good because everyone's body can feel good. Right. It just has to be on, on, on their terms. And, um, to me, that's like so liberating, you know, and it's very subversive, like fuck ableism. You know what I mean? Like everyone's body is unique and beautiful the way it is, you know? Yeah. And, 
And that includes in a sexual context. Like, and I just love that. I just love, like, because I wouldn't think, and again, I'm not an amputee, it's not, it's not my experience, but I wouldn't think to be like, I'm going to take this thing, this stump, and I'm going to jam it in there. To, like, I wouldn't go there. So the fact that you were able to get there in a really positive way for both of you is really cool. Yeah, yeah, it was really fun. It was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> I have all these visuals of how fun it was. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, tell me about your... No, you said you want to talk about devotees. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't have any, like, in-person experiences with them, but, you know, my whole life, but especially since I've been um, in, like, more like the public spotlight or, like, public eye as, um, you know, with through social media and just, like, my modeling and my public speaking... Um, I, I get reached out to, I get all kinds of DMS from creepy, creepy guys, creepy people. Sometimes it's sex related. Sometimes it's like, they're just like trying to like, I don't know what they're trying to do, but they just say, Hey, sometimes they send me dick pics, whatever. But some of them are actually, you can tell are really into, um, amputees just based on like how their profile is set up and the stuff that they say. And I, I literally don't acknowledge any of these people. Like to me, it's like, doesn't, I'm not going to sit here and have a conversation with them. Yeah. I don't have time. And it's just like, I, I don't block them. I just like let it go and it disappears eventually. It's like, keep it as like, un, you know, through my request notification. It's like a funny thing to be like, <laughs> yeah, I show my friends sometimes. I won't check it out. You know, cause it's like, sometimes it's freaking hilarious, but um, yeah, I mean, it's a thing. And I think, you know, especially because there are also out there, people out there that are, you know, that um, in the trans community, we call them chasers. You know, people that are just into trans women, just for sex and don't necessarily even see us as women or maybe they do, but they just, they treat us like objects. You know, it's something I've become hyper aware of and, you know, devotees, they're a thing and they're out there. And I, I haven't really, I haven't done a lot of time on apps. Like I've done some, so I haven't really like had anyone that's like reached out to me. It's been so blatantly like obvious that they're into that. I had one guy that like I had a feeling, but it just, nothing happened. Um, and how but I think it's, that, you know, and how did it make you feel? Were you like, squigged out by it a little bit yeah definitely like i think like okay so i gotta be really careful with how i say this because on one hand i don't think anyone should be shamed for what turns them on exactly but at the same time i think it, you you need to make sure you're respecting people like i want someone to see me as a human not as someone that's like trans or not someone that's disabled right in terms or of like an intersection or not as like a, just or not as just a stump yeah. that they can access or like, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, um, it gets a fine line and I don't really go ahead. Sorry. You're going to say something. And like, I don't think devoteeism is bad necessarily. I've talked to people on this show yeah. like years ago who I, I have a, one of the guests, I can't think of her name right at this moment, but she was a guest on here years ago. Stacy, that was her name. She, she's a devotee and she married a disabled guy and they, they yeah. have a, they have a fantastic relationship together. So I do think there is a fine line of like, of what's acceptable as long as there's respect and love. And look, if somebody was devoted to me as a wheelchair user and thought that was the hardest thing ever and wanted to like yeah. suck me all the time because of it, I wouldn't say no to that. But if they took it to a place where it was creepy and I lost my humanity Absolutely. in that space, that's weird. Absolutely. No, I, I agree. And I'm with you. I, I do, I do agree that like, and I said this a minute ago, but like, whatever you're into, you're into like, there's a way you can do it in a way that's respectful and you, there's, there's ethical, you know, sex and boundaries and, um, just treat me like a human, treat me, you know, care for me. 
and just don't be like don't be a creeper and I mean I think somebody's saying I think you're if somebody said to you my your prosthetic leg is really attractive like I'm really into that part of you but also part of you as a human like I if somebody said that to me about my wheelchair I wouldn't be I don't know if I would be upset right away but oh at least you you know acknowledge I was a person yeah no I, I I don't disagree with that other thing is like my whole experience with well more for with men but just in general like now that I'm I'm a, a well I've always been a woman but now that I'm actually like physically like seen and recognized as a woman like it's definitely changed how people interacted with me you know it's just guys they're different they're definitely different <laughs> as one of them i can say you're correct we yeah. are we and you know sometimes yeah. sometimes we have to be checked a little bit as do as men particularly and do you find yeah. this this a lot comes from like cis men that want to like usually yeah tell you usually. how awesome your stump is yeah yeah usually. well from what i can tell yes I don't ever get into dialogue with them. It's always through. Yeah, I know. Don't engage that. Yeah, no. I mean, I just think that there's there is a fine line. And I've again, I've talked to a lot of devotees, uh, like off on the internet too, when they'll say like, they'll say like, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm really really into you being a wheelchair user, and it really turns me on. And the, you can see you can see them like feel the shame about it, and you can see yeah. them want to. You can tell that they want to like share that part of that excitement with that with you because like oh, you're a wheelchair user, you're part of the thing that I've been looking for. So I feel always conflicted when I talk about it because yeah, there's a definitely creepy component, but there's also this like component of like I'm into that, and I I could be one of the few people in the world that could like if I if I don't act like a creeper, I could actually accept your disability because that's that gets me off so i always feel weird shaming devotees because i'm like i yeah. underneath all of that weirdness i think there's somebody who wants to be like hey i accept your disability i just have no idea how to go about that yeah yeah like, no I, I i agree with you and i i last thing i want to do is hear and shame shame no no no, no. I'm, just saying, like, yeah. I'm just saying like generally i in my experience with devotees you can just tell how excited they are to like oh, you're, the, you're a hot guy in a wheelchair and the wheelchair's always made me excited and then you can yeah. see them like want to tell you that or when they want to tell me that but they also get really then they get immediately uncomfortable because they're like oh I'm not supposed to say that oh so they, you can see them yeah. like struggling with the desire to share but also the worry that I'm going to shut them down immediately so I think I think we can be I think it's okay for people to be excited by our disabled bodies and like turned on, but we do have to be very careful how we present that to the disabled person. Like, yeah, don't start. Totally. Don't start conversations like, "Hey, can I fuck your son?" Because the answer will be no. <laughs> don't start there. Um, yeah, I want to shift gears back to something you said a few minutes ago. You were an Olympic sprinter. Yeah. Well, okay. So I was a Paralympic sprinter, and I did it at the national level. So I didn't make it to like I was trying out for Beijing. This was a six oh seven oh eight. And um, three years in a row, I competed at the U.S. National Track and Field Championships. Uh, took second place three times. Amazing. Um, yeah, I was pretty fast. And, you know, I was giving my story earlier about just, like, how basically from my, like, my teen years to, like, my late 20s, I was kind of using off and on. And during those three years, I, like, 
in a lot of ways I was addicted to like working out and to competing. Like, you know, it's funny. I think about like athletes who like spent their whole lives, like just that's, that's all they knew. And then as soon as they have to retire because your body breaks down at some point, their life's like fall to shambles. Right. Like in a lot of ways, like I think that, you know, sport in this sense for me or competing was like, was also kind of a high, you know, and it's a good one because it's like you're taking care of your body and you're competitive and I think it's really good. I learned so much, but, um, this was a period in, in a ways, a lot of ways like that and in the off season, I would go back to like, you know, doing things that I should have been doing in my body. But, um, but yeah, so I competed and I like, it was wild. I, I, I competed twice in Atlanta and once in Arizona. And then I actually don't usually tell people this, but I actually made a little comeback um, in 2012. I just was like, why not? I was like, missed it, oh, missed nice. doing it. And I didn't have any expectation. I didn't think like, I was like, things have changed. And sure enough, the field was like huge. And like, you know, all these like amputees that were just like swole and buff that had come back from like, you know, Iraq and they like were in great shape. And um, it was much more difficult. I mean, I made it to the final heat in like the championships, but I think like seventh or something because it was just the, the field was that much more difficult. And that was in Texas, I want to say. But yeah, I mean, it's a part of my life that I even forget happened at times just because my life has changed so much over the last, you know, since it started, really. Um, that's amazing. Like, that's like, like first of all, congratulations. Holy shit. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the last time we talked, I somehow segued this into Oscar Pistorius. I don't know yeah. how I segued yeah. it. I'm just going to go there now. So, okay. As somebody who's in the same field, Oscar Pistorius is the... Paralympic runner who got convicted of killing his girlfriend. Uh, yeah. And there was a lot of talk when that happened about how he was disabled and about how, like, how, like, he couldn't have done it because of his disability and all that stuff. So how do you, can you, do you want to talk on that a little bit? Absolutely. I definitely have thoughts. I think first and foremost, I just want to say, state for the record that um, I think that, and it's because this also ties into being transgender. I think that, transgender athletes as well as disabled athletes like they should have the chance to compete with with anyone right whether it be your your um the gender you feel you should be competing with or whether it be um being disabled and competing with able-bodied people i think that everyone is should be able to have that right and i think that it's not it's the onus should be on you know how do you then figure it out like what's fair and what's not it shouldn't be it shouldn't be like you're automatically disqualified we can't figure this out like no be putting in that work to figure that out because like transhumanism is on its way eventually. And at some point we're going to have to have this conversation. So let's have it now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that being said, um, I truly believe that Oscar Pistorius was at an advantage because he is, was a double amputee. He actually had a very similar, um, birth defect to mine. Not exactly the same, but very similar, but he had like more working parts and he was, he was amputated below the knee, but both of his limbs, so because he had both limbs below the knee and it was, he could weight bear, right? There was no issue, no issues at the, at the bottom. So that makes a huge difference as an amputee, huge difference as an amputee. And um, he was able to have prosthetics that were a little bit taller. So as if you're not aware, if anyone listening is not aware, the um, sprinting feet that amputees will use to compete in, um, it's all about like energy return, essentially. It's, you know, carbon, carbon fiber layers and the, the bigger it is, like the taller it is, like the more you're going to get out of it. So he actually sat higher than he would have probably been in, in terms of like his height if he was born without disability. 
um, which I think is unfair. Um, so he's almost like yeah. a, he's almost like a cyborg for the. Yeah, I mean, he was. It, it's almost like he was one of the few people that had like the perfect amputations to work with the the equipment that had been designed that that people that people still use for comp- competitive sprinters, right? Yeah. Um, and if you know, if you go back and watch his his videos of him competing, I mean, he ran like the four hundred meter, and that was like his main race. He would get faster in the second half. He'd turn it on. And if you have any experience in sprinting, you will be the first one to say that, like, that's not how it works. Second half, like, you don't all of a sudden just go, like, twice as fast second half, yeah, right? Yeah, like, you, should be, you should be slower in the second half because you're yeah, tired. Yeah, yeah. Now, granted, like, some of these, you know, look-level athletes, like, you can't even tell they're slowing down. But the fact that he all of a sudden would just turn it on was very telling, and, um, you know, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I, I think, I think he was at an advantage, but I also don't think that necess- necessarily means he should be disqualified. You know what I mean? Like, I think that, um, they need to figure out like how to, how to make this fair, but we're going to keep, we're going to keep competing. You know what I mean? Did you follow any of his murder trial when that was happening? Oh my God. Yes. That was like as an amputee and as someone who was a sprinter who looked up to him, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. That was really sad. And, um, just horrific to be honest i mean i i felt and I, there was so much i remember when that happened there was so much talk on the internet of like particularly and in in the weird corner of the internet from like gay cis dudes who were like but he's so hot though and like he like really and it was like everybody yeah or oh it's just, he's an amputee he couldn't have shot his girlfriend and people were like so what yeah no that's how this works i mean it's funny how like even like serial killers, like, you know, um, like Bundy, for example, like ones that are like women see as like attractive, like, or people see as attractive, I should say, is like, they almost give them more credit, you know, like people, be, Bundy had supporters while he was in court, right? you know, I like, mean, it's so weird, like, and also we're just going to go on a sidebar because I also love murder shit. So hi, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, um, you know, the, the Chris Watts case that just happened a few years ago, um, that guy is he's very attractive he's a very attractive man and i was watching a thing last night about him and i was like it's really hard for me to watch this because i know you're an evil person but if i saw you on the street and didn't know you had murdered somebody i would stand for you and it's creepy how we like forget that just because they're pretty doesn't mean they're good it's true it's so true um don't know how to segue out of that so i'm just gonna do it uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so let's let's shift gears entirely from murder onto your modeling career. Um, walk me through kind of how all that got started and how you feel about it now and how like how do you feel about being a, a amputee model? Like how does all that work for you? Like like break all that down for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I modeled for the first time. <clears throat> By the time this airs, it'll been a year, but. Um, Valentine's Day of 2019 is the first time I ever tried modeling. Wow, so not even really soon. Even, like, yeah, five like days. A li- yeah, and um, I didn't do it with the intention of like getting into modeling. It was more like, you know, it was like three or four, maybe even like five months after I'd like realized that I really liked my body. I had just broken up with someone, and um, I kind of like through that process of like breaking up with someone it was the first time I've been with someone since I was like, you know had transitioned or begin transition, begun transitioning. And, um, I just, 
some things I realized about myself that like I do in relationships that was like, okay, cool. I'm like self-aware now. Now I can like put those things into play and, and grow. And I told myself that I'm going to take 2019 and just like be single. I'm going to like date myself essentially. And that's what I did. And one of the things I, I like challenged myself to do that I like wanted to do when I first started transitioning, like eventually, you know, I saw, I mentioned it earlier. I saw these before and after photos of pe trans people. And because that impacted me, um, the way it did, I was like, at some point I want to be able to do that too. And also some of the, a few of these trans people are like also modeling. And I'm like, that's like, I want to try that. I, I want to be able to feel that good to do it. So I broke up with this, we broke up and like, I had this realizing realization and then I'm like, well, you know what? I wanted to try modeling. I might as well just try it. And reached out to a couple of friends to see if they had any advice on who I could work with. That was like safe and you could be trusted. That was queer. Um, and they recommended, um, Alex, Alex is a non-binary photographer at the time, wasn't out as non-binary, but non-binary photographer, um, down in LA, there's a lot of adore and, um, just like lifestyle stuff, but beautiful work they do, beautiful work. And we, they connected us and we really hit it off. And, um, I ended up driving out. I was in the Bay area. I'm from, I don't think I ever even mentioned this in this podcast. I'm from San Francisco area. I'm from San Jose, um, originally. So at the time I was still living there and, I drove down to LA and just went on for Valentine's Day, literally for myself. That's how I booked it. I'm like, it's gonna be my gift to myself. Oh. And uh, yeah, and I went down, I stayed in Airbnb and we met up and like, as soon as the camera started going, like I was so nervous at first, but as soon as the camera started going, I was like, felt so good. I was so empowered and like, I felt hot. And I was just like, oh my God. And, and Alex is like a great photographer for that. Like if anyone wants to try modeling for the first time, like go to LA and work with Alex. Cause like, they make you feel like really good. They just, they just like say the right things, you know. Hey Alex, you want to fly me out with all my wheelchair and shit to do some? I'm all for you. Just gotta, gotta find the dollars, so I will do right? it. If you can get out there, you should, cause like they're amazing. Um, but anyways, so they didn't even know it was my first time at the time, and like they're like, "What the fuck, Nicole? Like, really? Is it your first time?" I liked it so much that I want to do it again, and um, I I did. I like set up a couple more and then like I ended up working with Alex again but this time feeling like better about like I've done it a few times now and like I feel like I have my, my bearings um and I went back to LA and like we had this beautiful shoot and one of my photos went viral I don't want to say viral but you know social media was Go posted on, by a bunch viral. yeah it was, okay I guess it went viral so it was featured on a couple of big accounts and all of a sudden people started following me um and I realized like I you know I was doing before and afters as well and then I realized like wow, like people actually like, they'll, they follow me. Like they want to follow me. Like I'm interesting to them. And it made me realize that I, I can have a platform potentially. So, um, and I'm really passionate about trying to make a difference and leaving the world better off than, you know, than I came into it with. And, um, did that shoot with Alex. Ended up doing a bunch of shoots in New York with just people I met through, like people that started following me from Alex. Cause I got a bunch of new followers yeah. and photographers and whatnot. And I was out here for pride stuff for my work and I took advantage and like worked with also with photographers out here. And like, next thing you know, I have like people, I'm just working with people and my, I'm getting more followers and you know, I'm really good at networking. I'm really good at like making friends with people. And um, I'm a big believer in that in general. I just think that like, you know, it's really important to know as many people as possible just for the sake of knowing people. I mean, with how humans are, we're, we're built essentially in my opinion, like we're social creatures. So, um, eventually through networking, I ended up landing this, um, I'm still in the Bay area at the time and I landed this um, fashion show in 
in September of this 2019 um, with a, like a runway, like a walk. So I, I flew out and I did it and like, it was just so incredible. At this point, like I'm working with people and I'm like, having to go back and forth. I'm like, this isn't, I have to move to New York. This is just not going to work like this. So my work was awesome. They let, they were like, yeah, cool. Like we'll support you. And they're totally like, know what I'm doing outside of work as well. And, um, let me transfer, which was wow. awesome. You didn't have to do. Yeah. And I moved out here in end of October. Um, so I've been here for a little over three months now. And I mean, even since I've been out here, like, done a handful of shoots already but i just had a really big one that just went live um last week um through that fashion show i walked in and this goes back to just like networking and trying to always say yes to opportunities right um i was just cold reached out to by someone that owns that brand i worked with for the for the fashion show and they're like hey there's a collaboration with this like other brand equipment um are you interested and then it just pays well and i'm just like uh yeah, <laughs> I wasn't expecting it. Cause you know, when you move somewhere like across the country, like I had never done this before, but I, there's an adjustment I'm like learning. And I figured that like, I take the first six months out here to just kind of like find my people, get acclimated, you know, get a place, get used to my routine. And sure enough, I struggled the first couple of months. It was really rough, but um, I had a lot of people out here already. So that helped. And you know, I had a job, which was great. And I ended up in a great living situation. Um, and next thing you know, like, things are just happening. I'm just like, what the fuck, you know? That's so amazing. I'm obviously not going to say no. So I do this, this photo shoot, but it ended up being a bigger campaign where it was like five, it was six of us, I think six trans or gender non-conforming or non-binary models. And it was really authentic. They like, they asked, they did our photos, but they also did um, videos where we talked a little bit about our story and like, you know, give advice to like young people that are questioning their, their gender and um, just how important it is to be, you know, live your truth and be authentic. It was really beautiful. And then to, to like layered into that was um, a panel for Fashion Week, which was just actually a few days ago, the panel where um, we we spoke about just our experiences and our thoughts on the industry and how it can be more inclusive. And um, it went great. I mean, to be honest with you, like I use this opportunity to just like to talk about how like inaccessible the disabled it is for the disabled community, Let's, which is okay, like yeah, it's, little... it's supposed to be gender. But I was like, I'm also going to just throw this in there. Like, amazing. Yeah. Let's let's go there for a minute as in your experience as a model, like I have a couple questions as you were talking. What um, what was it like when in your first photo shoot with Alex? What was it like, kind of taking stock of your leg? Was that did that even factor in for you, or were you like, did um, it did sort of like cause we did because because she does a lot of adore like we did um stuff on like the bed and sometimes like it was weird to get into positions because my my the length of my my um i guess you can call it a thigh it's just those two bones fused together um is like longer than my my thigh on my on my other side yeah so i, I was i was conscious of it then i'm like oh there's just positions that like people do naturally that like look really good or like hot or whatever that like just look really unnatural for me and like that is like not a good look on a camera like you want to look as natural as possible um but other than that, I was just like, let's show it off. Like, you know, I was really, at that point I was already like loving my body. So I'm just like, yeah, this is me. And I think that is also what made people want to follow me in the first place. Well, you know, I think it, it does translate. I, I've looked at some of the photos and you've sent me some photos and like it, it translates into, you can tell that you're like, fuck you. This is me. I'm going to, uh, like, I look hot in this photo. And yeah, I don't have a leg here. Deal with it. Yeah. No, you know, what's so interesting. Like, I get people say like, wow, your leg is so like cool looking and badass. And like, when I walk around, like I feel that I'm like, yeah, this is my, this is me and this is my leg. And, um, you know, there's, 
one of my like one thing i would love to see is like i think like generally speaking there's probably like some kind of like term for it like in terms of like an economics or something but this idea that like you kind of want what you can't have and how that will dictate like people when they market and whatnot and like i want to make like being disabled fucking cool like because you know people can't just like sign up for that you know what i mean like you don't just go to the doctor and say all right i, I want one leg you know i want to cut my leg off like i mean i mean there, there is there are i mean that we, can get, we can we can we get can in, get into that yeah we actually should because i have thoughts around that but for the most part like doctor's gonna be like mm, no i don't think we're gonna do that you know because it's not really recognized in, in the same way that other things are recognized um but granted like you know it's a whole other conversation we'll get to in a minute um, oh, I'm ready to go there. You want to go there right now, real yeah. quick? Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. So I. So um, what you're talking about is called BIID. Uh, Transabil- well, or that too, but the more, body, like, body identity identity integrity disorder, right? Yeah, but the exact piece of that that I'm thinking of is like transabilism, where somebody looks non-disabled and decides to go to the doctor. Yes. Like, hey, can you? cut off this limb or can you help me or I'm yeah. going to pretend pretend or want to use a wheelchair and so my initial thought is when you born, born into a disability where I require a wheelchair and would really love to I, in moments of my life not be a wheelchair user and I like would love to have the privilege of not having to use a wheelchair I look at the I looked at those people when I was a lot younger and went oh I don't know how I feel about that I still yeah sometimes get really squeaked out by people who are really into the idea and I'm like but for you it's play like I don't want to say it's play but it's like it feels like it's not authentic to me yeah I um I have thoughts <laughs> so I have some of those followers too I have people that have like made comments like like oh like you became a girl and you're and you're disabled like what that's like my dream and like they're clearly just like this like at appearance in their profile, this able bodied cis person, cis yeah. dude. At least at appearance, right? Yeah. And um it's it's super uncomfortable to hear. It's like, what the fuck? You know, like I what are you talking about? But as someone that's trans who is who has transitioned, like there's people that feel that way about gender too, you know? There's people that feel that way about me, even though the, like the, the general consensus of the medical community and like this the data and the science shows that like it's this is a real thing you know but like there are people because of like culture and just what they believe like it makes them super uncomfortable and something i learned actually was through one of my exes the one that we had like that you know relationship with where we experimented and she was really aware about like stuff with the brain Um, just dump it yeah (laughs) um she was like actually there have been studies done that show that those people have like similar like parts and granted like i'm not i don't have the hard data like i couldn't even tell none you exactly. of, neither of us okay but, li- listeners but, disclaimer none neither of us are medical doctors we're just talking yeah, shit on podcast for sure yeah <laughs> um and i she's you know, like this is like there's studies about this and it shows that like there's correlation between what these people feel and what they're seeing in the brain compared to like what somebody disabled or like as an amputee might, might like how their brain might actually like light up and how it works which is really fascinating. And I looked, started looking at myself and yes, yeah, sure enough, there are, there's like actual medical journals you can read, you know, read experiences. And I think because of that, it still makes me uncomfortable, but like, I don't want to, 
diminish like what they experience and what they feel you know because i know that i know what it's like to feel like you should be a different gender you know what i mean i think and it's not the same it's not the no, same i agree with you i think the part that makes me uncomfortable with trans ableism is the way the media portrays it like oh johnny one day just wants to use a wheelchair because it feels good for him like no there's deeper things that are going on than that we should explore those for sure but the yeah. way that we've essentialized it in to be like just this cool, like, I want to use a wheelchair because I want to. It does make me like, I remember when I first heard about it, I was really angry for a while. I was like, why would you, why are you playing with that? That's it. It isn't a joke. My life as a disabled person is not fodder for you. Like I don't get, I don't understand. Now I understand that it's more complex than that. But initially I was really yeah. mad and it still yeah. sometimes makes me like annoyed because like. What, there are days where I'm like, what I would give to just get up out of this chair and walk around. Um, yeah, and if if this person with this transableism thing, if they wanted to get out of the chair, they could for the most part. So mm-hmm. that part's frustrating. Um, I think we need to talk more about it, though. And I think we need to see more of it in a more controlled environment than just like on a magazine as some sort of like, Johnny yeah. decided to be a wheelchair user for a day because he feels good in chair. Like, that's... No, but... Let's talk about it more more yeah. thoroughly than just a media blip. Yeah, I think there needs to be discussion. I think, you know, as disabled people, it makes us uncomfortable, so we don't want to talk about it. We're like, oh, that's just, like, not a right. That's not okay. And then the, the media sensationalizes it. And I think it's just important there's, there's dialogue and discussion, period, especially if it's done, if it's rooted in science and, me- and you know, medical data. I think that's the important part. Yeah, that gives me, like, that gives me as a disabled person, I'm like, okay, I can, I can wrap my head around that. Maybe it's... Yeah. A developmental disability. Maybe it's like, maybe it's like, maybe it's a, I don't want to say disorder because that feels weird, but maybe it's like, you know, a different thing we have to explore. And we can, if we have science to back it up where it's not sensationalized, I can get behind that a lot quicker than I can. Johnny wants to use a wheelchair because, or like, there was a woman on Dr. Phil, gross. There was a woman on Dr. Phil a couple of years ago who, like, and I remember watching her, she like put bleach in her eyes to like make herself blind. And she was like on the show, and I was like, "Oh God!" And I remember watching the clip, being like, oh "God, no, no, no!" Like it's so why? Oh my gosh! Yeah, and it's you tough. know, makes like I said, makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, and you know, Doctor Phil being Doctor Phil was like, "Oh yeah," he was, you know, being his whole like Southern ridiculous self. Yeah, and, and made a whole spectacle of it. So like that kind of stuff makes me uncomfortable. But I think people who we can talk about transavalism and all this stuff in respectful ways we just need to gird it with some science yeah absolutely could not agree more i don't know how we got there but we got there um i was talking about modeling and my campaign i just said oh yeah i was speaking on a panel and i i like used it as a chance to talk about just how there's not enough accessibility for disabled people and what was the Um, response when you like when you when you, what did you say? Like when you were on the panel, what did you like talk about? And what did people, how did they respond? They responded really well. People were like, there's a lot of people in the crowd that like, that were trans too. That I knew a couple of them that were like, you know, I made pretty awesome people that are models and like, they have like pretty big followings and they like, everyone was, people were cheering when I was talking about it, to be honest with you. Oh, nice. um, because I think the point is, is like, I, I use it, I, I brought it up in a way that was like, listen, like, unless we have like, Unless something works for everyone, it doesn't work for, it doesn't work. You know what I mean? Like whether it's someone that's, that's transgender or disabled or whatever, you know, person of color, whatever it is, unless we're, we're, we're designing things 
that are inclusive for all, then we're not, we're not doing a good enough job, you know? Um, and I, I, ba- I made sure to bring up the point because the question was around like, what can the industry do better? And, um, you know, I brought, I, when I was talking about it, I was like, the first thing I said was like, it's easy. Like ask us, like talk to us, hire dialogue, us. hire us, collaborate with us, pay us. You know what I mean? Like that part is actually pretty simple, but like just for whatever reason, like it's doesn't happen. But I also made sure to say right after that was like immediately it was like, listen, like you have to remember too that like some, someone like, like the disabled population, for example, I was, and I called out my privilege. I was like, I am here right now. I could get here on the train. No problem. Like I can move around. I could run if I had to, but like there are people that are at, that are like at home that like don't have a voice that have things that, that they want to say, or they, they um, came and making these spaces to model in the first place because for whatever reason they can't afford, afford it financially or whatever. Um, and like, how do you even like reach out to those people if you don't know they're there? And I kind of like, I didn't have enough time to talk about it, but I kind of started saying how like, it's important we're talking about it. It's important we're, we're making people aware. And that's one of my, honestly, like one of my, one of my goals as I've progressed for the past couple of years in terms of like what I want to do with my well, year, really what I want to do with my platform is like, I, I want to be someone that helps to, to create more discussion and change around, obviously around, you know, gender um, inclusion, but, but, you know, disability inclusion and but making like, these more accessible. The inter- like, like the intersectionality of all those things together. Like, yeah, not, of you're not, you don't want to just be, and again, no shade to anybody who just is one or the other, but it sounds like you don't want to just be a trans activist or just be a disability activist. It seems like you want to use, use our, our vapid social media channels to really say, okay, yeah, we can use all these things, but we can do it to make, real big changes in all these communities together. Let's do that. And like yeah. some of the stuff you were saying a minute ago about like how, you know, just to, to speak on privilege, like we were talking about a minute ago, a lot of the, even a lot of the disability models we see out there today, and I love them all. You're all great. But a lot of what they choose, they choose to highlight is white, cis people yep. who have acquired disability through an accident. And then they use that as like a, so-and-so had an accident, but she's still beautiful. Here she is on the runway. Like, yeah, yeah, you are, and you're amazing, but that story needs to be shifted, and I think we need to see more models who are congenitally disabled, who ha- who were yeah. born with disabilities, who come out in a power chair and do a runway twirl yeah. walk thing. Like, mm-hmm. like, There are so many different ways they could advocate. Also, I think New York Fashion Week should be streamed everywhere for people who can't get there, and I would pay a yeah. 100 bucks to sit in my house and watch it. Like, sure. As long yeah. as I could see, like there are ways to make it so much more accessible than actually being there. It needs to be accessible for everyone. And the way they do that is to talk to the community and say, how do we make sure that Joe in Missouri who wants to see this thing, but can't get there because of, because of disability stuff or can't fly out or doesn't have the means to do that. How can we make it accessible for him? Yeah, Absolutely. Or them, or anyone. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I want to make sure that, like, because I have some privilege, I want to like, I want to use that privilege for good. You know, I want to. If they're gonna give me a chance to talk, then like, I want to make sure I'm like highlighting the things that need to be highlighted, and um, I want to make sure that I'm prepared when like things do come my way that we're like, if they want to take me serious, like, and they want to like get my thoughts and consult with me. I'm going to tell them, Hey, 
I'm happy to consult with you, but I can only talk about it from one small intersection of the disability spectrum. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, so hire these, right, these other five yeah, people who can also... And, exactly. And like, the other thing is, is like, I'm still building that network. You know what I mean? Just because like, it's, there's so many different people out there, different types of disabilities that like, if, if they ask me today, then like, I don't even know exactly who I'd reach out to. I know some people, I'd reach out to you, that's one for sure. But just in general, you know, like, I want to make sure that I'm prepared for that because if they're going to take me serious, then I want to make sure like everyone has a chance to like speak. Yeah. And I think you can use your, all the privileges we talked about to make them more comfortable with the idea that you, that trans disabled people exist and like, and there are a bunch of us out there already, but like, why not use your privilege for good? And I'm glad you want to do that. Um, had a question like, like 20 minutes ago that I forgot to ask you that I popped in my head again when you were transitioning from from your last self to who you are now in terms yeah, of in, you know. in terms of yeah thank you my brain was like I know what it is it's okay then, it's okay um wh- how did that how did that affect your leg like did you have to consider getting a new leg did you have to consider like if you were going to transition from male to female like does that change the kind of prosthetic you get it actually didn't just because of the way my um birth condition like set it up and they also like because my thigh was shorter and then they also fused the bones together like where my leg comes up like the extra fat i'm eating i'm like in, in my like hips and my butt like it's not really going into the sockets per se you know what i mean like it's not not that not that like i don't really notice it so i haven't really needed any adjustments and um People say, some people swear that they shrink like an inch or something when they transition. I haven't had that. Um, I will say, this is funny, um, I spent my whole life thinking I was 5'7", until I realized that I was actually in denial, and it's because I wanted to be a taller guy, <laughs> and I'm actually 5'6". I was actually like, went to the doctor and like had an action measure without my shoes on, and it's just like something that I ran with at one point, I'm sure, when I was a teenager, and I kept it. So um, I don't think I shrunk. I just think I'm just like now actually honest with how tall I actually am. Um, but yeah, so no, no, no changes to the, to the prosthetic. Do you, do you, again, this is an ignorant question. I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you, um, do you feel like at some, do, would you like to see them come up with like a sexy, like type of prosthetic for you at some point in the future as technology gets better? Do you want that? Or like, I, I think you're pretty, I think, I feel like you wouldn't want that, but it, do you, no, I like it. I like my leg. I think it's already pretty sexy in its own way. It's very like most, you know, most prosthetics you see out there for above the knees are have like the their microprocessor knees, right? And it's a pretty like standard shape you see for the knee. Yeah. And they're, you know, it just doesn't really work with the length of my limb and like the space, the way mine's set up. Um, and I'm sure at some point it'll be available, but I really like how minimal and like almost like cyborgish my leg looks. Yeah, I, think, I was gonna say cyborg when like I was like, I'm, fiber. I'm, I was like, I'm gonna let Nicole say the word before I say it, so I'm glad you said it because it does, it does look kind of cyborgy, and I think I was gonna say this. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm totally okay, okay with cyborg. In fact, I oftentimes will use that to refer to myself. Like, I call myself a, a cyborg goddess, transcending the limitations of the human body. Because you know, gender doesn't matter anymore. My, the fact that I'm missing a leg doesn't matter. Like. I'm making it work and so many possible like, titles for the episode today. Right. Cyborg goddess. <laughs> so many. But I mean, po- it's really like when you think about it, this is like the really, really, I mean, assuming humanity lives long enough, this is the really early stages of like transhumanism, right? Like 
it's like so crude compared to what it'll be eventually. But to me, that's like interesting and fascinating. And like, in some ways, like, yeah, I'm like a cyborg pioneer, you know? <laughs> so many titles, so <laughs> many titles. Um, so because we all, we know you're all about the gram and you want to get those followers. How do the people get a hold of you? How can they follow you? And how can they like tell you how amazing you are and tell you how you should model more and, Yes, please follow me. I'm very interactive with people that follow me, especially if you're trans or disabled. Um, it's actually just my name. So it's Nicole, common spelling, which I'm sure you'll share, Andrew. And then my last name is Scarlato. So S-G as in George, and then A-R-L-A-T-O, which is my name, at Nicole Scarlato. Um, same for Twitter, but I don't really use my Twitter, but it is there at some point I'd like to start using it because I um, think it's a great way to, to like to speak and like and you know advocate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but Instagram is where I'm like most active, post pictures, I interact with people, um, and yeah, please, please follow me. Um, Nicole, this was a great interview, and it was fun as always, and hopefully my audio doesn't fuck up in the next <laughs> week or so before I post this. Yeah, but um, not. Is there any last things you want to say, last things you want to share before we end up the interview today? Um, I just want to say, and I, I say this a lot on my Instagram, it's just like, don't be afraid to to challenge yourself to like make yourself to sit on, with yourself even if it makes you uncomfortable and like learn to really like value yourself and love yourself um and i mentioned it earlier but i think it's like one of the most important things we can do for ourselves is like enter into a relationship with ourselves learn how to love ourselves and life kind of seems to start to fall into place after that like it could be as bad as it could seem like it could get but you know if you're at peace with who you are in your body i think that um there's really nothing that can match that. There's no like drug that can match that. There's nothing. And um, I think just no matter if you're disabled or able-bodied, it doesn't matter. Like that can be achieved. So, um, and I also that I love you all. Amazing. And that's a great end. So I'm going to end right there. Nicole Scarlato, thank you so much for coming on Disability After Dark. You definitely have shone a light on some great things all about disability, sex, and everything in between. You're amazing. And we're going to talk off the air in a second. But thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. All right, friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability, sexuality, and everything in between. I've been your host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for listening and coming back each week. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com. The website definitely needs an update, but there you can find my blogs, some of the videos I've been in, some of the talks I've done. You can also book me to come to your event and shine a bright light on disability, sexuality, and everything in between at your next event. You can do that there through andrewgerza.com. You can follow me on all my social media at It's Andrew Gerza. That's I-T-S Andrew Gerza. So I-T-S-A-N-D-R-E-W-G-U-R-Z-A. I know I've changed them a bunch over the last few weeks, but this one's going to stick. So It's Andrew Gerza on Insta, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, all the places to follow me. You can follow the podcast specifically at DisAftDarkPod on Twitter. Uh, we do have a Disability After Dark Facebook page, which you can follow at facebook.com slash disabilityafterdark. Um, but I do most of the, of the awareness stuff for the podcast on Twitter at DisAftDarkPod. There I do a lot of polls to find out what kind of episodes you want. I ask a lot of questions to find out to get guests. I ask, what kind of things around disability do you want to hear? So make sure to follow us there as well. Um, 
yeah, that's the show. And thank you so much for coming back to listen. If you want to, again, if you want to support the show, patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark. You can pledge at whatever level you're able to. But $1 a month and $5 a month gets you the perks, which is the show one day early, ad-free, and an, a special shout-out for me as well on an episode thanking you for your contribution to keep programs like this up and running, and I would really appreciate your support. Also, please leave a review on Apple Music or wherever you get your podcast, so the shows like this can actually get recognition and shows around disability, which are so sparse in our media landscape, can actually get re- recognized. So, let people know you love the show, and I would really, really appreciate it. But uh, that's it for today. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations, with music by Chris Ujiuji. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be distributed or used without express permission. Copyright 2020